Lord, we come to you and we ask you to be with us this morning, Lord. Teach us. Move in our hearts. Help us to truly be your disciples, followers who make a difference, who care for others in your name. Lord, bless us this day, we pray. Amen. Powerful video. Talking about last week in Acts chapter 10, about how we deal with prejudice all the time. And this pastor did a, a very profound object lesson, didn't he? Very profound in that he dressed up as a homeless man and experienced prejudice from the people in that congregation. They say that, uh, well, let's go ahead and uh, start. I think it's on. We're on. There we go. Let's read our verse so we have context here. Oh, what happens when you push it a bunch of times, huh? And then it finally catches up to you. Okay, can we start it over again, please? There we go. Let's do that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You know, they say that it is better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And the reason why they say that is because if you want to do something, and you ask permission, and they say no, then you don't get to do it, right? But if you do what you think you're supposed to do, and then after the fact you get criticized or have some conflict because of it, then you can say, well, I'm sorry, you know, please forgive me for doing that. But you were able to accomplish what you thought needed to be done, right? Now, that's not necessarily always a good way to live your life because you're going to constantly be dealing with conflict then, right? But sometimes if you really feel like God is leading you to do something and you're concerned that something or someone is going to keep you from doing that. Sometimes maybe you do what God tells you to do, and then after the fact, you say, I'm sorry. I bring this up because this is kind of what happened with Peter. You read Acts chapter 10, and then you read Acts chapter 11, and you're like, didn't I just read this? (laughs) Because 10 and 11 have a lot of similarities in them. And so as I talk a little bit here this morning, you're going to get, if you were here last week, you're going to get kind of a summary of what we talked about last week with some added stuff at the end. But it's going to sound very familiar to you because what happens is Peter goes to Cornelius' house and he ministers to Cornelius and his family. And then after the fact, the Jews in Jerusalem were very upset that Peter would go to the Gentiles and do what he did. So now he has to come to them and in essence, kind of say, I'm sorry, but let me tell you why I did it. Does that make sense? So that's kind of what's going on here in chapter 11. So now we're we kind of reflecting here uh, a little bit that um, we read Acts 1.8, and we hear Jesus tell us that we're needing to go to Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth, Right? But for the longest time, the Jews were still kind of in their comfort zone, just staying in Jerusalem, just preaching to the Jews. And then we we learned that Saul came along and persecuted Christians, and they scattered to the outer parts of the world at that time. And 
the gospel began to, to get into other places. But of course, then Saul became a Christian, and then he started preaching to the Gentiles, right? That was his ministry to the Gentiles. But what we learn here in Acts 11 is that there are Gentiles in Jerusalem, as Cornelius and his family were right there in Jerusalem. And so we see that God is constantly prodding, pushing, moving the disciples to preach not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. But they had this huge prejudice towards the Gentiles. And so they were really upset with Peter when he went to Cornelius' house. How could you do that, they're asking him. How could you go and preach to the Gentiles? That's not what we do. It's the Jews who are God's people. It's the Jews who are supposed to be saved. We're supposed to preach to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. They were not happy with Peter. And here's where you have the old adage, it's better to ask for forgiveness than for permission. Because had Peter asked for permission, they would have said no. And he wouldn't have gone, and they wouldn't have experienced what happened. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment, right? So Peter begins to tell about his vision. Remember his vision? He's in this vision. I, I imagine this kind of like a virtual reality. I, I've never had the, the, the opportunity to do virtual. Any of you done virtual reality before? A couple of you. I've heard it's really an amazing experience. I want to do it sometime. If any of you have access to it, I'd love to do virtual reality. Maybe on our game night we can, maybe, just for the pastor, right? Here's the pastor's corner, virtual reality, pastor only, right? But I imagine, I mean, imagine this. He's having a vision, and it's kind of like a virtual reality thing. I mean, it's very real to him. These animals are before him, remember? Last week we talked about it, and, and God comes to Peter and says, kill and eat. And of course, Peter says, I can't kill and eat. These are unclean animals. That would go against the law that you give to us, right? I could never do that. Now, this happens three times. Finally, God says, three men are going to come to your door. Go with them. Because of the vision, Peter goes with them, right? And so he's telling all this to the Jews, right? He's saying, I went with them, and there was Cornelius and his family, and I preached a sermon, and you know what happened? the Holy Spirit came upon them. Wow. How could that happen? Let's read a little bit about that in 12 to 16. Peter's saying, The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. The six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us now he had seen an angel appear in his house. So Cornelius, remember, saw, had a, a vision also. And say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. Read with me. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. This is the message that Cornelius is getting. Send for Peter, because Peter has a message. Remember, we talked about Cornelius being a, a believer of God, seek, a seeker after God, but not knowing Jesus Christ. And God sends a message to him. You are such a, a seeker of mine, you need to know Jesus. But you... Don't know Jesus, so send for Peter, and Peter will help you to know Jesus. And Peter says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. And he's speaking some profound words to the Jews. These are the Gentiles that the Holy Spirit is now coming upon. Then I remembered what the Lord said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
And so Peter is relaying this message to them. And so he leaves, right, with no hesitation. He does this. He tells them all about it. He tells how Cornelius and his family believed in Jesus and how the Holy Spirit came upon them and how they were saved. And they were baptized. And they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came upon even the Gentiles. Holy Spirit came on even the Gentiles. And so then Peter makes this great statement. He says, so if God gave them the same gift, the Holy Spirit, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, read with me, who was I to think that I could stand in God's ways? Wow, what a statement. Peter had this moment of realization. My prejudices are keeping me from sharing the gospel with those who really need to hear it. My prejudices are keeping me from loving others in the name of Jesus, from those who need Jesus' love, to know that Jesus loves them also, that Jesus can make a difference in their lives, that Jesus has the answers to the questions that they are seeking. We often stand in God's ways with our prejudices, which keeps us from speaking to others because of their race or their status or the way they look. Our prejudices keep us from going to people who need Jesus. And we, we stand in God's way because we think that God could never do this work in that person's life. And so we write that person off without ever even attempting to share the gospel with them. We stand in God's way thinking that it's going to take too much effort or too much work to do, and we just don't want to put in the time and the effort. We stand in God's way when we don't let God push us out of our comfort zone and say, God, no, I don't want to do anything that will make me uncomfortable. We are constantly standing in God's way. But Peter says, who was I to think that I can stand in God's way? When God leads us, when God speaks to us, when God directs us, when God gives us his will, we must respond and do what God calls us to do. Even if others around us are looking at us like, why are you doing that? Or you shouldn't be doing that. Or that makes me uncomfortable that you're doing that. If we feel God is calling us to do something as a church, as a people, as a Christian, as a disciple, we need to follow what God tells us to do. Who am I to stand in God's way? Let's get out of God's way and let God lead us in his way. Amen? Amen. One day this... Uh, this man wrote a letter to the editor of a newspaper. And in this letter, he basically said, you know, I've heard many sermons in my life, and I don't remember any sermons that I've heard. I don't really think sermons are that important. And over the next few days, people wrote in to the letter, to the editor, responding to this man's statement. Some agreeing with them, some disagreeing with them. And finally, this one letter came in that kind of stopped all of the letters. And this man wrote this. Every day, my wife makes me dinner. After some time goes by, I don't remember what she has made me. 
but I do know that without them, I would die. <laughs> Even though I don't remember them, doesn't, matter, doesn't mean that they don't have great benefit for me. No more letters came into the editor. <laughs> How true is this, right? We hear a sermon every Sunday. Do you remember the sermon from week to week? Maybe you don't remember the sermon when you walk out the door. I don't know. <laughs> but even if we don't remember every single point of the sermon, they still have great benefit for us. It doesn't make a sermon unimportant. It doesn't make it irrelevant. God has designed for his word to be taught, explained, and preach. This preaching is a vital part of what church is supposed to be, a vital part of what a worship service is supposed to be. Through the sermon, we see lives impacted and lives changed because of God's word preached. In Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit came on the people and there was confusion and people were, were talking about what's going on, Peter, remember Peter stood up and he gave an amazing sermon. He quoted from the prophet Joel, and he made this important, or this huge sermon. And at the end of this sermon, I don't know if you remember, but 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ. Now, I think it would be great if after every sermon I gave, 3,000 people were saved. You know, that would be pretty, uh, yeah, I, I don't know, maybe you get a big head if that happened every time, right? Prideful, right? Yeah, every time I preach, 3,000 people come to the Lord. The important point is, is that God's word is to be preached. And when God's word is preached, it impacts people's lives. See, preaching is important, but preaching is also powerful, the scripture tells us. It's powerful because it is ordained by God as one of the main ways that his word is to be proclaimed. Now, books have been written about this, but I just want to tell you three, briefly three ways that preaching is powerful, okay? 2 Timothy 4.2 says this, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Preach the word. It's a command that God gives to us. So first, preaching the scripture is a way to explain the scripture, right? The scriptures can be confusing. The scriptures can be challenging to understand. The scriptures, can you read them and you're like, I, I don't think I understand this. I don't know exactly what this says. I don't know what this means for me. What am I supposed to do with this word? In a sermon, this, the scripture should be explained, meaning that once I'm done with my sermon, when you go back and you reread the text, you reread Acts chapter 11, hopefully you'll have a sense and what Peter did, how he explained it to the Jews, how he talked about the importance of preaching, and, and you'll go through the scripture and you'll read it, and you're like, oh, that makes more sense. Pastor Chris helped me in his sermon to understand the text, and he explained it to me in a way that it will mean more, and it will be understood more when I read it again. That's one of the, the reasons we should be preaching the word, to explain the word. But secondly... We preach the word because the gospel is so important. 
meaning that basically in some form, in some way, in every sermon that is preached, the gospel should be spoken. We should talk about Jesus. We should talk about how salvation is found in Jesus alone, how God forgives us of our sins, how God leads us and directs us, and in Christ gives us new life and makes us new creatures in Christ and helps us to be the people we were meant, created to be. Somehow, in some form, in every sermon, the gospel needs to be preached. See, without Jesus, the Bible is meaningless. Without Jesus... The word of God has no power. Without Jesus, we have no hope for the future. Jesus is core to everything that we need to understand in the Bible. But third, the preach word changes lives. When I preach, I need to be giving you the understanding of how the Bible is relevant to your daily life. This book has answers for your life. This book gives direction to your life. This book gives power into your life. This book helps you to understand how you are to relate to God and be in relationship with God. I need to help you understand how this book is relevant to your life in the 21st century. And hopefully in the sermons, maybe not in every single sermon, but in the collective of sermons, you're getting this sense of how your life is to be changed because of the Word of God and hopefully the words that I speak to you in regards to that. The Scripture is there to guide us and teach us and rebuke us and set us on a straight path. We read in Isaiah 55, 11, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will what? Will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And then in Acts eleven, twenty-one, the Lord's hand was with them, the people, as Peter was talking to them. And a great number, no, I guess Peter's talking about um, Cornelius and all those around him. And he says to the Jews, the Lord's hand was on them, Cornelius and all the people, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They saw lives changed because Peter was called by Cornelius. He went, he faithfully preached the word, And because he preached the word, lives were changed, and they believed in the Lord. A couple of years ago, after, um, or a couple of years after I was a Christian, I was part of the youth group at um, Christ Cathedral. And if you know the Christ Cathedral, it's a very big church. And it had a very big youth group. It had somewhere between 800 to 1,000 high school students. And I was actually asked to be on the student leadership team there. And so I was very um, honored to be on that team. There was about 50 of us youth that were um, part of this leadership team. And one of the, the goals was to disciple the leaders, disciple us, so that we could go out and disciple others. That was the whole point of this leadership team that we, were, we would go, this is back in the time, I don't know if around the Torrance area if, if high schools are open or closed, but I know in a lot of places high schoolers, high schools are closed now and you can't just go on the campus. But back when I was uh, in college, just after being in high school, you could just walk onto a campus and you could um, just have lunch with the students and just hang out and, and so we did that. We would go and we would 
meet the kids that were part of our youth group, and then we would meet their friends with them, and we would have lunch with them, and we would, we would begin to build relationship, and we would do discipleship in very various ways. It was such a great opportunity to do it together with others, to be a part of a team that was designed and determined to work together to further the gospel and the kingdom of God. We read in Acts 11.24, talking about Barnabas, he was a good man, what? Full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Through Barnabas, because of his being filled with the Holy Spirit and faith, people were brought to the Lord. If you want to make a difference with your, your life, if you really want to make a difference, if you truly want to make a difference with your life, not just in some superficial way, if you want your life to have eternal purpose and eternal impact, if you really want to make a difference, then you need to pray daily, God, fill me with your spirit and fill me with your faith. Let me walk in your spirit and let me walk in faith. And if you make that your daily prayer, your life will have great meaning and purpose for the Lord. What If you take away anything this morning, take away this. Pray every day, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your faith. Let me walk in your spirit. Let me walk in faith. The ultimate work of bringing people to a saving faith in Christ is the Spirit of God. The Spirit is the one that softens the heart of a listener. The Spirit is the one that will take your words and make them meaningful for the person who hears. The Spirit is the one that helps to transform lives. We're not the one that bring, make people Christians. The Holy Spirit makes people Christians. If you want to have impact, you need to be filled with the Spirit. And we see this great team form with Saul and Barnabas. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. You know, it's, it's good to go out and to be willing to be... Um, Share your faith, share your testimony, be a witness. But when you do it with someone else, when you do it as a team, it's even more powerful, especially as a church. When we go out and we, we seek to disciple and we seek to evangelize, we seek to share the gospel, we should do it together. You know, when you do things by yourself, you can easily get discouraged. But when you do it with someone else, you get uplifted by that other person. You get encouraged by that other person. Maybe you're at a loss of words and that other person has something to say and you feed off each other's words. It is really important and really great to be part of a team. I've had the opportunity to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, to many people in many ways. I've done it one-on-one, -on -one, I've done it in groups, I've done it at retreats, I've done it through my sermons, I've done it with others as a team. What is important is that we seek to tell people about Jesus. It is our calling. It is our purpose. 
It should be our ultimate goal. May we be faithful disciples who care for others and make it our goal to share the gospel. Let's pray.